0: Reforming society, repairing your mentality, restoring your life. This is The Revolutionized Mind. Happy Friday, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to today's episode. I am super excited to announce that The Revolutionized Mind has partnered with the Canadian Mental Health Association to help promote their Mental Health in Motion campaign. The goal is to raise critically needed funds to support youth mental health programs and services for young people aged 12 to 25 in York Region and South Simcoe. Registration for this event is completely free, and I highly encourage each and every one of you to sign up for the TRM team to either donate, raise awareness, or add some kilometers to our dashboard. Right now, there's 19 people on our team, and we've raised $345. It's also a great way to keep you accountable for your activity, as you can add kilometers for any run, walk, or bike ride that you do, and you can see it on our team page. To register, you can go to cmhainmotion.ca slash mind, and you will make a big difference for the youth in our community. This is all leading up to the virtual kickoff event on Sunday, June 13th, which I will actually be speaking at. So until then, our goal is to raise some money and get some kilometers in. Huge shout out to everyone who's already registered, donated, shared, added their kilometers. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Everything is truly appreciated and is going towards an incredible cause. Today's topic is incredibly important and one that is not talked about nearly enough as it should be. Black people have been disadvantaged for a very long time. There's the visible things like slavery, segregation, prison rates, police brutality, and many more. But then there's also the inaccurate, judgmental, and damaging beliefs that exist in society. And I definitely am not an expert on this topic. I am not a Black individual, therefore I don't have any lived experiences to share on a personal level. But... I do think that it is so important that we educate ourselves, acknowledge the systemic racism that exists, and listen to Black people. Listen to the BIPOC community. They deal with intergenerational trauma as well as their own. Even if we don't think that this exists or that we don't hold these beliefs, the system, the world, that everything is designed to benefit white people. And that is where we need to start. I know 2020 was a very weird year for a lot of people and quite traumatic with a lot of changes to the way that we lived our lives and all these emotional events happening around us. And like I said, I'm a white person. I can't even imagine or come close to imagining what the black community went through that year as well as what they go through every day of their lives. And especially with my passion for mental health, There is a major relationship between racism and mental health. And when individuals grow up believing that there's something wrong with them because of the color of their skin, that's a major crisis. And with as advanced and educated as our society is today, it's really sad that this is still happening. But with steps in the right direction and listening to people like Jordan today... I am really confident that we can make those changes that society so desperately needs. I really hope you gain some insight and knowledge from today's conversation, because it's vulnerable, it's raw, and it's real. Enjoy. So today I'm here with Jordan Thompson, a volleyball player for the U.S. national team, Under Armour athlete, and overall amazing person. I was lucky enough to meet her back at the University of Cincinnati when we were both varsity athletes, and I'm so happy that she was interested in coming to be a guest on this podcast. Would you like to just introduce yourself before we begin?
1: Yeah, um, like you said, my name's Jordan. Um, I grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, I've been married to my husband, Blake, for three years, and we have two fur babies, two dogs. And And yeah, that's
0: about it. Amazing. Um, So what age did you first notice any signs of a mental health struggle in your life?
1: Um, When I was in high school, I think it was my freshman year, I started experiencing some depression. And I think there were a lot of symptoms that were telling, I guess. But I didn't, um, I thought I was just kind of sad all the time and really just like to sleep a lot. And then I think the second semester of my freshman year of high school, um, that's when I was like officially diagnosed with depression. And then it was sort of just like an on and off journey, like it would get a lot worse um, in the winter, especially in Minnesota. There's not a lot of sun. So I think that made it harder. Um, But yeah, it was definitely a challenge all throughout high school. And I think it got a little bit better in college for sure.
0: And was it more personal stuff
1: or related to sport? Like, was there anything that started it? Um, I think it was a lot of personal stuff. I I didn't have a bad home life growing up, um, but my parents were separated. And so I think the stress of um, not having my parents together and just different things that I experienced growing up, I guess like different traumas would make it worse. And so yeah, I think it was just, it wasn't, I mean, volleyball for me was more of an escape. So that was nice to have that outlet just to get away from like my personal life kind of.
0: And especially when you're as good as you are, I'm really happy <laughs> that you've gone so far and you're still continuing your athletic journey there. So I'm super yes. happy to see that.
1: Thank you. Um,
0: so fast forwarding to today, how have the racial injustices that were globally brought to light over the last year impacted your mental health as well as the pandemic on top of it all?
1: Yeah, I think for a lot of people, um, this past year has been tough. I mean, you think about what's been going on in the States with just the racial injustice towards the Black community, and now you add the pandemic on top of that, and we're seeing violence against the Asian community, and there's just so many different layers to it. And so I think it's been really difficult, um, you know, as an athlete, you're expected to do your job every day and show up and do like physical labor. And so I think, you know, for any job, your mental health is going to have a huge impact on your performance at work. And so for me, I think it was, the pandemic was a blessing and a curse. I think it was um, a blessing in the sense that when everything was going on with, when George Floyd was murdered and, um, you know, there were protests and, people just trying to come together and raise awareness and make change. It was nice because I, I wasn't playing volleyball at that point, you know, everything was pretty much shut down. And so I had the opportunity to go and protest and to really, I think mourn with the black community. And so I think it was, the pandemic was a blessing in that sense. But then when I had to head overseas, you know, people in Turkey, like, they are dealing with completely different issues. Um, so, the Black Lives Matter movement isn't um, prevalent in Turkey. And so I was overseas and I was still trying to work through how, like, okay, how can I best use my voice? And at the same time, I'm reading news articles about other Black people who've been killed by police and racism in America. And nobody on my team besides my other American teammate um, could understand what that was like. To deal with. And then so, having to go into that space and still have to do my job and perform on the court while I'm kind of battling all this stuff mentally, it was, I think, really difficult in that sense. Um, But it was nice because I had my teammate, Chiaka. She also happens to be black. And so, we could lean on each other in those times when we felt like, you know, nobody else around us knows what's going on and like how this is affecting us mentally, but we have each other. So.
0: Oh, yeah, that's awesome that you had that one support system, especially being so far away. Yeah. And how about your family in terms of support?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, so my my dad is Black, my mom is white, so my dad obviously, like, he gets it. Um, he's, you know, a Black man born in America dealing with just the everyday racism and, um, you know, dealing with his fair share of interactions with police officers and, I think it's really tough because during this time I would always tell my dad, like, just be safe, be safe. Um, because you never know what's going to happen. Like you could do all the right things and just at the end of the day, end up in an interaction with the wrong police officer. And so I think it was really hard. Like I can tell him to be safe as much as I want, but he could do everything right. And it could still, things could still go wrong. So I think that brought us closer together, just being able to like, discuss those things um and i think i had to sort of break things down for my mom because as a white woman she can only see so much but obviously like she's not living those experiences of like microaggressions and like just subtle racism and those things build up over time and become you know something that seems small it can be really hurtful and i don't think that she like she wasn't really seeing that i think so it was um definitely like a growing moment in my relationship with my mom too because I had to break things down for her and be like listen this is super hurtful and like this is how certain things make me feel and so just kind of letting her into that space was um, something that we hadn't really spoken about a lot before um, last summer.
0: I think that whole topic there with your mom is kind of something that was brought to light for a lot of people, um, a lot of white people specifically, because we don't have that lived experience. We can't understand what you're going through. We never will. Um, but it's that weird middle space of like, I know we were talking about like what to say or what not to say or yeah. how you're allowed to get involved, what you shouldn't be doing, and things like that. So I think having those open and honest conversations are super important.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think like, you know, there's so many people in different communities who want to help and who want to speak out and use their voice and make an impact in their circle and just do what they can. And I think it's really important also for people in the black community, like, you know, my best friend, she's white. And so we had a lot of like tough conversations and she would ask me really hard questions. And she's like, look, I'm confused. I don't want to like offend you but she's like, that's why I'm asking you because we have that relationship where she can ask me the tough questions and I'm never going to judge her or, you know, think that she's trying to hurt me or anything like that. And so I think there's a lot of grace that needs to be given, um, for people who are genuinely trying and want to get it right. But like, we're humans, we're going to make mistakes. And like you said, it's hard because white people, you're not going to live in a black body and black people aren't going to live in a white body. So there are experiences that on both sides, we're never gonna understand. And so I think, you know, we really need to focus on like giving grace to people and just helping like teach people and helping just people learn in general, because I think that's the only way that there's really gonna be change because, you know, it's, it's definitely not easy, but I think it can be done if there's grace and patience.
0: So going off of that, what do you think were some of the best and worst ways that anti-racist action was taken by white people? And I'm only asking this because of its relationship with mental health struggles. I think that weird middle ground for both white and black people not knowing what to do was very tough mentally and emotionally. So yeah, like how can we effectively do our part in this conversation and help to create the change that's
1: needed? Yeah, I think it was really tough because I think the George Floyd case when he was murdered, it was like a this is a terrible phrase, but like a perfect storm in a sense, because we were in a pandemic, things were already hard. People had this like space and time to grieve and really feel the weight of somebody in their community being murdered. And so I think for the black community, it was like the one time where we could really collectively feel and like carry this burden, I think, and just carry the weight of like our feelings Because a lot of times I know, you know, from, I mean, speaking from my own experience and also from um, just talking with some of my other black friends, a lot of times when we see, you know, cases of like racism or cops murdering black people and all this stuff, we try and suppress our emotions. And uh, we're like, okay, we don't have the capacity to experience those emotions right now. So we're just gonna keep pushing it down, pushing it down. And I think um, when George Floyd was murdered, we saw a lot of those emotions that people have been pushing down for years come out. And it was like hurt, anger, sadness, just all of these things. And I know for just speaking to some of my white friends, they were like, we had no idea that it was like, that you guys were hurting this much. And so I think once people started to realize how badly the black community was um, just grieving that loss and just angry about the situation that we're just still in, like, we haven't made a ton of progress um, when it comes to racism in America. So I think then, once I guess, like, the white community kind of realized that, I think a lot of people wanted to learn, which was awesome. But sometimes the burden was sort of put on black people, like, okay, black people, what can you teach us? Like, what resources can you give us? And I think in sometimes, like, that's necessary, that's good. But I think it was a really fine line, especially last summer. Um, just because so many black people were just trying to cope with their emotions that they didn't have the capacity to give those resources or try and teach. Um, and so I think that was really difficult because on the one hand, like the white community is like, what can we do? We want to learn. And then on the other hand, the black community is like, we're tired. Like you guys figure it out, but there definitely needs to be that coming together. Um, like I was talking about earlier, like you have to be able to share your experiences And so I think having what I've noticed for relationships that I have with different friends or family, um, just building a level of trust and respect to allow people to ask tough questions and me to be able to give direct responses and know that on both sides of that, we're not saying things to hurt each other. We're truly trying to have just like an important conversation where we can both learn and grow. And so I think for the white community, like... I think each individual, it's great to have a diverse friend group and get to know people who don't look like you. Um, for me, I like to, even as a black woman, follow different black creators on social media. And there's so many people who are offering these free resources where you don't have to go and, you know, ask one random black person I just saw on the street, like, okay, can you help me to, you know, unlearn different biases and stuff like that. So if you have you know, you have these free resources that are available on social media, and you also have those people that you're close to who don't look like you, and you can ask those hard questions to have those really important conversations. I think that's the best way to just keep making progress, you know, no matter how little, because it's definitely not going to be something that changes overnight. I think there's obviously so many people, and it's for sure a two-way street that, um, you know, grace needs to be given on both sides. So. Yeah that was, really it was a
0: great response. response. No I th- it made sense. I think it was just such a hectic time for everyone and white people couldn't understand the emotions that black people were facing and black people were dealing with these emotions and they didn't want to deal with the white people's like frantic desire to get involved I would say. Um but I like how you said unlearn of the biases because I think that's what it stems down to and a lot of people don't realize that that even if you are doing all the right things there are these preset beliefs that we've carried for generations and generations that people, one, either don't want to acknowledge that they have or that they exist, or two, just don't want to do the work in order to unlearn them, like you said. So I think that's a really strong phrase there. Yeah. Um, So going back to you personally, what do you think about or what are some anxieties that you have as a Black woman in America? And I know this is a little personal, but I think that hearing these mental and emotional impacts that racism directly has on Black individuals will help to give us some perspective demonstrating how crucial change really is.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think for me, part of me is thankful that I'm a Black woman in America and not a Black man. I think um, I worry a lot about I have a older brother too, so I worry a lot about my my brother and my dad, um, just being black men in America, and so I think a lot of anxiety stems from that, and just not knowing like if they're always going to be safe. Um, and I mean, even the other day, I was driving and I uh, a cop pulled up behind me, and I mean, he didn't pull me over or anything, but. I just I got really nervous and I was like okay if I get pulled over like what am what am I going to do like I need to make sure I keep my hands on my steering wheel like I'm not going to make any sudden movements I'm going to be like just very stiff and I was just trying to go through this checklist of like okay what what can I do to make sure that I'm 100% doing everything right on my part um, and not giving them any reason to mess with me or hurt me and I also just had this thought of like, oh, well, thank God I'm not a man because that would be like even worse. And I mean, the cop ended up going past me and whatever, but it was just while he was behind me, I was just like gripping my steering wheel, really nervous. And I just like things like that, that suck or just, you know, experiencing um, different microaggressions or whatever it may be. Little things here and there that just seem so small um, that actually like add up over time. And I think I look back to, I guess, my childhood and growing up in a predominantly white community. And there are things that I didn't realize then that were racist. (laughs) And I was like, oh, wow, that actually like wasn't okay. And just kind of healing and I get like giving forgiveness, um, for those things and knowing like, okay, at the end of the day, I'm not going to know if people were intentionally, um, trying to be racist or Whatever, but I think just for myself, like, okay, I'm gonna forgive that person. Like, whether they knew what they were doing or not, like, I can't hold on to that for my whole life. But that's so hard because you know, when when you know someone's being racist towards you and they know it and they're not sorry and they're never gonna apologize, giving forgiveness is really hard. But I think it's necessary. It's a necessary part of the process of healing and just trying not to carry so much, like, such a heavy burden throughout life, because I think things will only get harder if I continue to carry those burdens and not give forgiveness. So yeah, Uh, I think
0: hearing those anxieties and like the police car example specifically is that like, that's something that a white person will never ever be able to understand. And Like while you were saying that I was thinking back to my own experiences of times cops have driven behind me or I've got pulled over for speeding. Sorry, my mom's going to listen to this. Um, But like my first thought was like, oh, no, my parents are going to kill me for like speeding. But never was I concerned about my safety or what I had to do in order to protect myself in that situation. So it's just a totally different lifestyle. That black people have to take these precautions that white people will never imagine to do.
1: Yeah, it's definitely tough, but
0: part of life. (laughs) And yeah, I like how you talked about like the healing from trauma, because I think over time you do have these experiences where you have to decide whether you want to forgive these people, whether what direction you want to take it, essentially. And that's a really important part of the healing process for sure. Yeah. So do you have any mental health tips to help manage these anxieties in your life?
1: Um, I would say not overthinking. I'm a huge, like, overthinker. And sometimes once the wheels start turning, it's really hard to just stop, like, a really bad train of thought. And so for me, when I sort of get in this, just feeling, like, anxious, and then the thoughts are running through my head, I recognize them. And whether or not I think it's something that could happen. I'm like in the present, like everything's okay. Or like the things that need to be okay are okay. Like I'm alive, I'm breathing, I'm healthy, like whatever problems I have, I'm not going to be able to solve right this moment. So I think slowing my thoughts down and, um, and not letting things get crazy or creating these scenarios in my head that might not even happen. Like, Oh my gosh, what if, you know, my brother is driving home late from work and then he gets pulled over and he didn't do anything wrong and just going on and on and on. Just stopping those, like catching myself and stopping it has helped a lot for me. Otherwise, I'll just work myself up. And um, I feel like that's honestly the biggest thing for me that something I have to consciously do, it's not, um, it doesn't come naturally to me. Um, Naturally, my mind will just go, go and go. And it, um, I think, can just take me down like a dark path if I let it. So I would say that's the biggest thing that's helped me.
0: Yeah. And like you said, it's a completely different layer to anxiety. Like I could never sit here and give you tips or like a white mental health professional. Like, yes, they have expertise in the anxiety field, but being a black body brings a whole nother level to it for sure.
1: Yeah. I love that you brought that up because I think it's so, this is so like off topic, but at the same time on topic, I was thinking about going to the doctor for a specific thing. And I was like, oh, well, You know, I really would want to go to a Black doctor just because there are certain things in like mental health and just health in general where experiences are different for Black people. And so it's really, I think, comforting as a Black person to be able to go to the doctor and have the option of having somebody who looks like you and can sort of just have that understanding of like, okay, we might have had completely different life experiences, But you know what it's like to look like me and what comes with that life. And so I think uh, it's just really comforting um, to have that. And so I think it's just really huge to for people to have access to doctors that look like them and have similar experiences. And I think that just offers just another layer of service that you can't always get with um, somebody who doesn't look like you.
0: That is a whole nother conversation with the way everything's designed. I think just the resources that Black people do have access to are much more limited and costly or not widely available, depending on where you live, obviously. But the statistics do show these higher numbers for the BIPOC community, not just Black people. And it's something that hopefully we're coming to acknowledge and create these changes sooner rather than later, because I think... The mental health epidemic that we're in alone is such a scary place for a lot of people right now. And addressing these larger issues are so important and essential.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: So I know you also have a large platform being the star athlete that you are. <laughs> um, so how did you personally like motivate yourself to get involved or use your voice on these platforms and get involved in the Black Lives Matter movement?
1: yeah i think for me that was a little bit intimidating um i knew that i had somewhat of like a platform and an audience um that was interested in what i had to say on the topic and also people who followed me who didn't want to hear what i had to say (laughs) on the topic and would rather me just stick to volleyball um and so i kind of struggled with how do i use my voice in an authentic way. Because I I feel like I'm a really positive person, but it's such a heavy topic. So I was like, how do I do this in a way that's not just calling out one specific group of like, I'm not just going to go and bash white people. That's just, first of all, it's not what I believe in. And second of all, I feel like there's just already so much hate in the world that the way that I wanted to use my voice, I wanted to do it from a place of love and support and um, just offer my voice and my... Life experiences. Um, And so it was difficult because I knew some people want you to go out and just like spew hate or just like really be like raw and aggressive with your emotions. And that's, I think I did a lot of my like emotional processing off of social media just because I'm not really one to put a ton of like raw emotions, I think, out in public like that. I just like to process on my own. And so it was difficult, but I think I, came to a point where I never really like planned like to post certain things there would just be times where I'm like I really feel the need to speak up and say something on a certain topic or I really feel the need to just express my emotions or like how this makes me feel because I know other people are feeling the same and can really connect um and so I just wanted to do it in a really authentic way and I think so far like you know I may not be posting as much or speaking out as much as other people but at the same time, like I, I have a lot of conversations off of social media, but I think that's where I also like to make an impact is within my like smaller group and just my community. So I think that's, for me, the best way that I've found to approach using my voice and especially using it on social media.
0: That's awesome. And it also shows that it's not easy to do that. Like just because you're a black individual doesn't mean that posting about this stuff is easy and using your voice and sharing your trauma is not something that people typically enjoy doing. So I think it just brings another aspect to it saying that, you know, like you yourself had to motivate yourself and find the strength to share these raw emotions out in public um, to all these people who you don't necessarily personally know, but you're expected to use your voice and put yourself out there. Um, But yeah, and I was reading through some of your posts and saw some of the negative comments that you did receive from some not nice people. (laughs) Um, And I think there was, like you said, like a lot of hate out there. There always is, always will be. Um, But just dealing with that, especially when you're defending something that you're so passionate about and hits home for you, obviously. um, And then having these people come at you with negative comments is, takes a huge toll on your emotional perspectives for sure.
1: Yeah, it's definitely, it's difficult because especially after the Derek Chauvin trial, once we knew the verdict that he was guilty, um, that was just such a huge relief because, I mean, so many people were saying like, well, this is just the bare minimum and like, we should expect that. But I'm like, Black people don't get that. Like, Black people don't get the bare minimum. So we should be able to, in a way, like celebrate it, which it sounds so weird, but like, that's a victory for us. Like no matter how small, like it's still a victory. And I felt like in the weirdest sense, it was sort of honoring George Floyd's life and telling the world, like he did not deserve to die. His life meant so much. And what happened was wrong. And the person who did it is going to be held accountable. And so, I mean, there were people who were like, you know, saying that we shouldn't be so happy about the verdict because like, you know, that should never have happened. I'm like, yes, of course, but it did. And so the justice system, in this sense, did what it was supposed to do. Like, the court did their job in finding him guilty. And I think, obviously, it's not going to bring George Floyd back, but we at least got that when we, we usually don't. So some people were like, you know, this isn't even justice. And I'm like, in the sense of what the court does, justice was served. I think justice would be him never dying in the first place, but obviously we can't change what happened. And then you had people who were like, well, he shouldn't have been doing drugs or this or that and just blaming him. And I'm like, just on the two sides, I was like, wow. But I mean, I remember there was one person in particular who kind of just went in on my post about um, the verdict of the Derek Chauvin trial. And he was just blaming George Floyd and accusing him of all these things. And I'm just like, at this point, the whole world knows that he murdered George Floyd and the court like also acknowledge that. So I'm not sure why we're still having this conversation. I'm like, I, so then I just, sometimes I'd want to respond and like try and help educate because I think a lot of times it is ignorance, but then there's times where it's like, okay, you're choosing to be ignorant and there's nothing I can do about that. So I'm going to have to like disengage. So that's yeah,
0: and it's, it's not your job to do that. If people don't want to play their part and educate themselves or at least try to learn, then it's not up to you to. That's like so hard mentally, like trying to prove your case, stand up for your community and this person's just tearing you down. I yeah. saw the comments. They were awful. Um, but yeah, just like I think a lot of people just with like hate comments in general don't realize the impact that it has on whoever's on the other end of that phone.
1: Right, right.
0: So wrapping up, I think you're an amazing role model, both as a person and as an athlete. So what advice would you give to any young Black girls who are struggling because of the way that they look?
1: I would say embrace it. Like you are beautiful just the way that you are. And that sounds so cliche, but that's something that I think I struggled with growing up too. Like I, I never wanted to get too dark in the summer. I never wanted my skin to be too dark, but I realize now and just growing up, like, there is just so much beauty in how different we look. And like, I don't think there's one like skin tone or nose shape or whatever it may be that's more beautiful than the other. There's so much beauty in our differences. And so I would just say embrace that. And just for, I think, young Black girls who are struggling with not feeling beautiful or confident or whatever their appearance has on just their mental health, like find people who look like you and allow them to build you up and speak life into you um, and just love you because that does so much just for your confidence and your mental health. So just find a good solid group of friends, like people who look like you, people who don't look like you and allow them to like build you up and speak life into you. I think that's just so important. and just to have people encouraging you. Even if that's somebody who maybe is like an older mentor or something like that. I think there's hopefully always an opportunity for somebody um, to just love on you and just, just be there for you and encourage you and help you through because it definitely gets better. I think growing up is so hard. Um, Just like going through puberty and dealing with boys and blah, 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 all that stuff. Like it's difficult. And I think it definitely takes a toll. Um, So Yeah,
0: that's what I would say. That's awesome. And yeah, like you said earlier, like using your social media resources, like you have the ability to choose who you follow. If something isn't making you feel good, unfollow them. But then also, like, expand what you're seeing. Like, if you want to follow different Black creators, like you said, or just different people that bring different perspectives to your Instagram feed and things that make you feel good about yourself, not insecure, and things like that. Yeah, I think that's huge for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much for being so vulnerable today. I know this is not an easy topic to talk about both personal mental health experiences, as well as any trauma that you've experienced. Um, So thank you. Thank you. I really, really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. It was so nice to talk to you. I know. (laughs) so long.
1: Sweet. Thank you so much. This is awesome. And I'm so happy you're doing this.
0: I think that today's conversation is incredibly important to put out into the world because it not only acknowledges the impacts that racism has on one's mental health, but it also addresses that weird middle ground that a lot of people found themselves in this summer. And that's a tough conversation to have because white people who genuinely wanted to get involved didn't know how or didn't want to say the wrong thing and offend anyone. And black people wanted white people to get involved, but didn't want to tell them how to do it, and rightfully so. But I think Jordan talking about grace and having to come together in order to reach an understanding, in order to create that change, is so, so important. We are obviously all coming from different backgrounds, from different experiences, and emotions were just so high for everyone that I think we just kind of lost focus and forgot what we were truly fighting for. You know, people started attacking each other for not saying things the right way or for not getting involved. Meanwhile, you don't know what people are doing off of social media, whether they're donating, educating themselves, having those conversations with people in their social circle. There was no one right way to go about it. And I think this just caused so many battles white people against white people white against black we stop doing the work for ourselves and for each other we are so lucky to have the amount of resources that we have on social media in movies and documentaries on the internet take the time to educate yourself on black history on what the bipoc community has gone through over generations and what unfortunately is still prevalent today. I am so thankful that Jordan came on today and was so vulnerable in sharing her experiences and for acknowledging these tough topics that a lot of people are too scared or don't want to address. But I think hearing this from a Black individual with these experiences is so powerful and really gives me and hopefully you new perspectives to think about and really changes the way that we see and approach racism in our everyday lives. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did. And Jordan is amazing. If you want to follow her on Instagram and see some of her amazing volleyball highlights, you can follow her at J-T-O-M-M-19 on Instagram. Please also, if you're not following The Revolutionized Mind on Instagram and TikTok, please do so as that's where I post all my updates. Please also be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes as it is greatly appreciated. And don't forget to go sign up for my Mental Health in Motion team. I hope everybody has an amazing weekend or rest of your day whenever you're listening to this. Bye for now.